Matthew chapter 5. We're doing our series on Sermon on the Mount, and I am just taking my time on this. We will be here a while. I'm not saying I'll do it every Wednesday, but we will do it uh, quite often until we get done. Probably the slowest part of it will be the beginning, getting uh, meditating on these Beatitudes, because I'm really just taking my time on those. And you get down a little further, and you'll deal with a few more verses as the theme might involve a few more verses. Um, we're just on verse 4. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. And so our thought tonight is blessed are the mourners. That's kind of a paradox, isn't it? But uh, that's, that's the way it is with our Lord. He's not like how we think. Let's pray. Father, I pray for your help tonight. And as we meditate, uh, Lord, upon uh, this beatitude, and I pray that this attitude would be us and that we would understand the truth that is packed, Lord, in this one statement and I pray that you would help me to unpack that a little bit for your people tonight, uh, that we would understand where real godly happiness comes from. And I pray, uh, Lord, that we would see that tonight and rejoice tonight in how that you are faithful uh, to comfort us. And as a result of that comfort, we are truly blessed. In Jesus' name, and amen. Like I said, this statement seems somewhat like a, a paradox. It seems contradictory to say blessed or happy are the mourners. I mean, who is happy while mourning? Um, but that's not exactly what it says. It doesn't say you are happy while you are mourning. Uh, but we can be blessed after we have mourned when we have been comforted. By God. So when it says, Blessed are the mourners, for they shall be comforted. I believe the blessedness is the state that we are in when we, after we have been mourning and we have been comforted by God. So we go from mourning unto blessed. And how many times has the Lord done that for us as a people of God? Has He turned ashes into beauty? Has He turned mourning into into the oil of gladness. He's done that many times for His people. Now this does seem to be contradictory and even absurd at first thought, and, and maybe in the way uh, that the world thinks, but not in the mind of Christ. Now, as stated in our last message, we see that Jesus gives us the true way to experience His holy happiness and joy. And His ways of happiness is not the world's way of happiness. For His ways are most surely higher than that of the world's. And His thoughts on happiness are not the world's thoughts on happiness. Well, let's look at this short admonition tonight on how we can experience divine happiness of Jesus and see if we indeed would be labeled as Jesus as those who would be called the blessed. Now, it seems that the most obvious question that we need to ask when you come to this, about this uh, beatitude, is what kind of mourning is Jesus talking about? Blessed are those who mourn. 
So does that include everybody who mourns? Does that mean no matter what you mourn over? Um, I do not think so at all. You know, people can mourn and have a genuine mourning over a lot of things, and, and some people may mourn over things that, which Jesus is not even talking about. Some people lament the fact that others do not approve of their sinful lifestyle. And I mean, they, they genuinely mourn. They have a mourning over that, that lack of acceptance or lack of approval. Jesus isn't talking about comforting them or them being blessed. So they should not receive the comfort of God for mourning over that. Um, some people mourn and lament when their advice is rejected. Uh, there was one guy in the Bible, I can't remember his name, Ahithophel maybe, but when his advice wasn't taken, I mean, he was, he was in mourning so much he went and hung himself. I mean, he was definitely pretty sad over that. Uh, so people mourn over being rejected or their pride being wounded. Is that the mourning that Jesus is talking about? I do not think so. Uh, these are not things that we could expect God to come in the midst of that mourning and greatly comfort us because we are mourning over such things. Now some may mourn for things that we would all mourn for. They may mourn over the loss of a loved one or over hearing a bad news uh, or over being hurt by others. And that mourning is expected. And we can definitely expect as a child of God for God to come and comfort us. Definitely times we can seek the Lord and definitely times He would comfort us. I do not think that this is the type of mourning that Jesus is referencing to. Um, most of the scholars that I read after, and, and this is the opinion I had also, I agree with them. It is a mourning in relation to sin. A mourning in relation to sin. And that is the approach I want to take with this statement, Blessed are the mourners. The true path, now let's think about this, the true path to God's happiness for His children comes from receiving comfort when we have properly mourned over sin. It seems odd. We mourn over sin, but yet when we take it to the Lord, we become happy. <laughs> but that's what happens time and time again. We're not happy when we mourn, but we will be happy if we truly mourn over sin, turn to the Lord for forgiveness, and then receive His forgiveness and are comforted. Then we, that comfort or that forgiveness comforts us. Um, turn to Psalms 32. We'll turn just a few passages tonight. Uh, Psalm 32. Start with verse 1. David said, Blessed, there's that word, blessed is he whose what? Transgression is forgiven. Happy is a guy who has found forgiveness. Whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man to whom the Lord does not impute iniquity, and whose spirit there is no deceit. Verse 3 says, When I kept silent, my, my bones grew old through my groaning all the day long. There's mourning. He's mourning over his sin. He hasn't really dealt with it yet. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. There's a mourning, there's a, there's a chastening taking place with David. My vitality was turned into the drought of summer. 
Then he says, I acknowledged my sin to you, and my iniquity I have not hidden. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. Uh, verse 1 and 2 is just stating the blessedness of after the fact, of after, how, after David got forgiveness. But before he got that forgiveness, he was miserable. He, he talks about his bones growing old and groaning. But when he finally acknowledged his sin, he said, Blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven. Blessed is the man whom the Lord does not impute iniquity. So this blessedness that David speaks of is from the person that acknowledges their sin before the Lord and seeks his forgiveness. The child of God is never comforted in his sin. If he's in knowing sin, he's not comforted. The child of God can never be happy in sin. Not, not the Lord's kind of happiness. Um, not the happiness and joy that comes from abiding in Christ. Uh, we, we abide in Jesus and there is joy. When we sin, we're not abiding in Jesus and there's not His joy. Now, that's not to say that for a moment our fleshly nature does not still enjoy sin for a moment. It can. But for the child of God, it is very short-lived. When sin has conceived, James says, it brings forth death which is separation. That's not just talking about eternal death, but whenever we as a child of God sin, it brings forth death still. It brings separation between us and the fellowship and communion with God. And the happiest place a child of God can be is in communion with God. And when we lose that due to sin, then we're not happy. The child of God is never happy away from Jesus. He may linger in that state of unhappiness for a long while, though. And he may have seasons of times that he thinks he's happy even in his sin because of the moments of fleshly desire being fulfilled. But as a child of God, they will not truly be happy no matter how much they try to convince themselves or others that they are. But also know this, a person that is not born again of God's Spirit Folks, they can live a pretty happy life. I mean, in worldly terms, what the world would call the world's happiness uh, that comes from the pleasures of sin and self-indulgences and stuff and, and can experience a measure of happiness in this world, but not a happiness that comes from abiding in Christ. It, to, to tell a lost person, you're never going, you're never going to be happy in sin. I, listen, that, that may not necessarily be true. You may not really get to them that way because... They might be pretty happy in sin because the Bible says regarding our old man, the men love darkness rather than light. They, they love sin. You can enjoy sin when you're a lost person. You can really enjoy it. I know that. I'm thankful I can't enjoy sin like I once did, you know? I'm thankful for that. So they, they may enjoy a prolonged state of happiness in their life, even, as a, even in sin, loving their sin, enjoying its embrace. Um, but let's look at some passages now, uh, another passage in James 4. As a child of God, if we want to draw near to God, we must properly deal with sin. Okay? We must properly deal with sin. Um, the, the person that just continues in known sin, that's obvious sin, and just continues in that, um, they can't 
hold on to the sin and still be close to Jesus. Now, a lot of people want to think that you can. Say, well, me and Jesus, you know, we're like this, we're still close, and I'm still doing all this stuff. Well, you're not. <laughs> you're not close to the Lord and doing things that, that are totally contrary to the Word of God. It can't happen. It doesn't work that way. Can two walk together except they be agreed? And you're not in agreement with Jesus about your sin. And so you're not walking with Jesus. Um, but James 4, uh, verse 8 says this, Draw near to God, and He will draw near to you. But then He says this, Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Notice the word, Lament and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. He's saying you need to see your sin for what it is. You, need to, you don't need to be laughing or, or rejoicing over your sin. You need to be mourning over your sin. You need to repent of your sin. You need to be cleansed of your sin. The sin we commit with our hands, the outward sin, we must stop doing if we want to draw near to God. The sin we commit within our hearts, we need to turn our affections from it and think differently about our sin and not be double-minded. When we lament and mourn our sin and humble ourselves, seek the presence of God and His forgiveness, He will lift us up and the comfort we will receive from knowing His forgiveness will give us a blessedness that could never be found in the things that please the fleshly desires. The child of God is never happier than when they are walking close to Jesus. That's our happiest moments for the child of God. So if someone says they're happy and think they're walking with Jesus while committing obvious sin, then they're either lying or deceived. 1 John says, if we say that we have fellowship with Him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. So you can't do both. Um, I'm not saying that if you're not perfect and complete holiness in your practical life, you're not walking with Jesus. No, we're talking about. Okay, none of us are there. But we, we know what we're talking about. When we know something's sin and we overtly commit it. I'm not, we struggle with sin every day. We struggle with the flesh. But that doesn't mean we're yielding to it and actively participating in it all day long. There's a difference. When God's people sin against the Lord and respond in mourning over that sin, repentance and confession, they will be forgiven and comforted by God and experience a divine happiness and joy that that sin could never give them. And so sad. sometimes we do things, sinful things, thinking, well, I'm, this is going to be a lot of fun. And for a very brief moment, it may be. But boy, the death it brings, the separation it brings, it separates us from God. It separates us from other people who walk with God. Second Corinthians seven. Second Corinthians seven and verse ten. For godly sorrow produces repentance, leading to salvation, not to be regretted. But the sorrow of the world produces death. So there is another sorrow you can have 
that just produces more separation. If that sorrow does not lead you to repentance, and you just, sometimes people are sad in their sin, you know what? They covered up with more sin. In other words, they're very sad in this sin, but yet at the same time they turn to more sin to try to deal with that sorrow. How do you deal with sorrow? Do you go to sin? Listen, God's people sometimes even fail here. In other words, something hits them that makes them very sorrowful, and they turn to a sinful practice to find comfort. Drunkenness. Drugs. A child of God could become guilty of that. And you know what that produces? Death. More separation from God. More sorrow. Sometimes we sin and we become so overcome with sorrow, instead of repentance, we think, oh well, we do it again. We're still in a state of place of death, a place of separation from the Lord. He says, for observe this very thing that you sorrowed in a godly manner. There's a godly manner of sorrow, a godly manner of mourning. He says, what diligence it produced in you, what clearing of yourselves, what indignation, what fear, what vehement desire, what zeal, what vindication. In all things you proved yourselves to be clear in this matter. Okay? Therefore, although I wrote to you, I did not do it for the sake of him who had done the wrong, but nor for the sake of him who suffered wrong, but that our care for you in the sight of God might appear to you. Therefore, we have been comforted in your comfort. And we rejoice exceedingly more for the joy of Titus. Paul knew that God had comforted them because they had sorrowed over sin and repented of their sin, of allowing their, the church's sin over allowing the sin to go on. They had repented of, the church had repented of. God had comforted them by the fact that they dealt with it. And, they, and Paul says, I'm comforted by the comfort that you have received of God. I mean, he's just rejoicing in that God had come and broke and mended their hearts. It comforts us when we see God's people mourn over sin, repent of it, and respond the right way. Now, why should we mourn over sin? Why should we mourn over sin? What about sin should make us mourn? Well, one, because it creates that barrier, that, 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 that loss of fellowship with the Lord. Now, some may mourn over sin because they just simply got caught and they are filled with shame and, and now people know. And, and that, that's a mourning. Listen, people can have that kind of mourning over sin, but it doesn't lead to repentance. It's not a godly sorrow. I think lost people can even have that. In other words, they get caught in a certain sin. A man gets caught in adultery and man, he just kind of, he really mourns. He laments. And that he got caught, and now he's full of shame, and his family knows, everybody knows. And, but that may not mean he has godly sorrow that leads to repentance. So some may mourn in that way. Some, some may mourn over sin because they see some of the, the effects it has on people they care about. A drunk may get up the next morning and mourn the next morning because he realizes the night before he had abused his wife and children. And he may genuinely mourn and weep because of the effects of his sin 
on his family. But unless it's a godly sorrow that turns to repentance, he hasn't found forgiveness. And God has not comforted him. The mourning we should experience should first of all be because we've sinned against the one that is our creator and our savior, our redeemer, and the one that has shed his blood for us. When we sin and we come to our senses and realize that what we have done against our loving Lord Jesus Christ, it should break our hearts before the Lord. Do you know why a man may get to a place that he can hurt his wife, cheat on his wife, whatever, and not experience any remorse? That happens. He has no love in him. In other words, he is hurting his wife, he's distanced himself from his wife, he's distanced himself from his family, and he has no remorse, no sadness, no mourning, and he goes on and does it again and again and again. Why? Honestly, he does not love them. And he's not affected by it anymore. I've seen people that hard. You cannot hurt or offend someone you love and it not hurt you. And that's the same way with us and the Lord. If we love Jesus, it hurts us when we sin against Him. It hurts. And that's what hurts us. Because <laughs> it hurts Him. He loves us. He cares for us. He's our God. He's our Savior. He, we know He loves us. We love Him. Oh, and I have hurt His heart. I've sinned against my God. So we mourn for that reason. Real quickly, Psalm 51. Very familiar psalm, but it really echoes the right attitude. The attitude that should be us <laughs> whenever we sin. But in Psalm 51, now we know that David did not respond the right way when he had first sinned until the prophet Nathan come to him and confronted him. And I like that account because, you know, David did not immediately repent after he had sinned. It wasn't until he was confronted by the prophet, Nathan, and that, that he ever really broke down before the Lord until the Lord come to him and says, you are the man, and he was going to be chastened. And boy, it just hit David in the face, and he had to deal with it. And, and he hadn't properly dealt with it until then. And so I, I take comfort in that because I've seen people at times that, you know, it's like they just lived in their sin and they just kept living in it until and finally it gets out in the open. Then they s seem to turn from it. And you're always going, well, they just, you know, sad they got caught. Well, listen, David was kind of like that. And so sometimes that's what it takes, though, to drive us in the right direction. And David went the right direction. We, we know that after he was confronted but in Psalm 51, let's read a few here. Have mercy upon me, O God, according to your loving kindness, according to the multitude of your tender mercies. Blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I acknowledge my transgressions and my sin is always before me. Let me, let me tell you what, whenever you, whenever you know you're not right with the Lord, you're like, you can't run. You can't run. And that's a comfort we can have as children of God, people of God that we know might be in sin. You know what? They, they can't run from the Lord. If they're one of His, their sin is always before Him. They can't, His Holy Spirit is right there. <laughs> they can't outrun Him. 
My sin is always before me. Against you, you only have I sinned and done this evil in your sight, that you may be found just when you speak and blameless when you uh, judge. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity and in sin, and my mother conceived me. Uh, behold, your desire, truth in the inward parts, and the hidden part you will make me to know wisdom. Purge me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, I shall be whiter than snow. Make me hear joy and gladness. Or may we say, help me to be blessed. Help me to know your happiness. That the bones you have broken may rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquities. David wanted him to hide his face from his sins because he has seen that God was in essence hiding from him. But you know God was confronting him in a chastising way. And that's what the Lord does to turn us from sin. When David finally comes to face his sin, he did not respond the right way, but he, now he has confessed his sin. He knew God was just for chastening him. He calls it evil. And he knew that it had robbed him of joy and gladness because God was chastening him. Can we not look at David now after this fact and say, David is blessed. David is happy. God has restored unto him the joy of his salvation. He had lost it. But now that he, God has chastened him and brought him back, now he has it. Can we not look at David and say, Blessed was David that mourned over his sin, for he was comforted by God. He was. So a good question for you tonight as a child of God. If you are living in, in sin, you know there's something there that you haven't dealt with. If you're a child of God, I know you're not happy in, in doing those things. That sin has robbed you of the joy of the Lord. Well, come at once to the well of forgiveness that never runs dry and drink. Confess your sin, repent, and Jesus will once again in His faithfulness replace your mourning with the oil of joy. He will remove the spirit of heaviness and put on you the garment of praise when you seek Him and His forgiveness. You will receive His comfort when you come to Him in mourning over your sin that you've committed against Him. Blessed are those who mourn. They shall be comforted. That's a promise. When you genuinely mourn the right way over sin, come to the Lord. God will restore unto you a state of Christ's like happiness. Father, use this word tonight to draw us all close to you and to be a reminder, Lord, that when sin divides us from you in fellowship, it can be quickly restored whenever we come to you and deal with the sin appropriately. You are faithful and just to forgive us our sins when we confess our sins. But help us to deal appropriately when sin, uh, whenever we fail. Uh, but Father, help us, I pray, to walk with you, to enjoy you, to enjoy your fellowship, to enjoy your communion, that it might help us and keep us, and that we might sin less and less. We know we're not sinless, but God help us to sin less and less. In Jesus' name, and amen.